0: Hey, well, wanted to say good morning again to everybody and say welcome to worship and a special word of welcome to those of you who are not in this room right now. If you're joining us online, on TV, by video in our traditional service, I'm really glad that you're there and glad that we have this chance to be connected together as one church family, to grow together in God's word, to be restored together as followers of Jesus Christ. Those of you who are here in Minnesota, if you're online, it might be different, but if you're around here, wasn't it a beautiful morning today? I mean, just so brisk and invigorating and it's just... For those of you who are far away, this is what we call chili around here in Minnesota. We're just uh, a little bit below zero, and uh, it's January in Minnesota, right? January is also the season for some people, anywhere you live, uh, the season of New Year's resolutions. I'm not real big. Do you guys make New Year's resolutions once in a while? I do this. Our family made one this year. Together, we decided that we were going to drink less soda together, less Coke, less of my beloved Dr. Pepper, especially when we're out eating out at restaurants. Because, you know, a little less high fructose corn syrup in the diet is not bad for anybody. And uh, they're getting more and more expensive. So we're going to try to do that a little bit less. Can you hear the deep conviction and resolve? Like, we're going to try maybe do it a little bit less. This is a fairly easy one, actually, fairly clear. But a lot of people make New Year's resolutions that have to do with, like, changes in diet or health. And that's really hard. One of the things that makes that so hard is that there's so much conflicting advice out there, right? Like, if you're going to make a change, exactly what change are you supposed to make, right? I mean, it seems like these days, for the last 10 years or more, everybody thinks you're supposed to eat low carb, right? I don't know whether anybody does it or not, but most people think you're supposed to do it. Uh, Two weeks ago, or something like that, I stumbled across a study that said that boys and men, especially, should be eating less protein than they are. So I'm like, less carbs, less protein, all bacon diet, right? (laughs) High fat, that's all you got left. I'm in favor of that one. But like, are you supposed to do, like, paleo, whole foods, nutrient protein shakes, Moravia, order those. It's hard to know what you're supposed to do. There's a website I read sometimes called uh, 538.com. I don't know if you have ever, ever read this. It's kind of like, I found it as a sports website, but it's a real data-driven analysis website that do sports and pop culture, so I can read about my favorite teams and kind of geek out at the same time, so this is, like, really good for me. And I just kind of randomly, it wasn't for a sermon or anything, I just found this, this article a little while ago, about all the different conflicting diet advices out there and how people will say this is good for you and this is bad for you all at the same time. And the data heads in this, on this website, they found some rather amusing, statistically significant, but rather confusing correlations. So I thought I'd bring along a few of them just to entertain you this morning. One is that people who eat lots of cabbage tend to have any-shaped belly buttons. <laughs> just in case you needed to know that. It's also statistically significant that people who eat lots of egg rolls Tend to be dog owners, right? (laughs) And my personal favorite higher consumption of potato chips is correlated with higher scores in math, right? (laughs) High school students, middle school students, tell your parents. Don't tell them you heard it from me, okay? (laughs) Although for most of you it's too late, I get it, right? All right, I'm just kind of messing around here with this. It's kind of funny, but I think this is true with lots of things that we get advice about in life, right? It's true for diet. It's true for lots and lots of things. If you're ever wandering around the interwebs, if you're ever on Facebook, if you ever wander into bookstores where they sell actual physical items of books, there's a self-help section there. You can find advice telling you to do anything you want to do, right? I mean, the secret to a secure, happy life is to maximize all your retirement savings while you can or to invest in the experiences that bring you joy in life right now. Could be one of those things. You should probably move to a blue zone and you should declutter and simplify your life and also buy the things that make you happy. <laughs> one of those things. You should build large networks of social support that, may, that enrich your life and narrow your focus onto a small group of friends that really are close to you. Right? You should clarify and relentlessly pursue your goals and, you know, lighten up and take life as it comes. <laughs> Whatever it is you want to do with your life, you can find a book that will authorize you to do exactly what you want to do. Right? And while this may be especially a problem for us in the early 21st century and late 20th century, where there is no shortage of noise and information coming at us all the time, man, the more the world changes, the more it just stays the same. Right. And the passage that we heard, read this morning in our worship service, teaching of Jesus, was speaking into a world that was really not all that different from ours in that regard. There were plenty of voices around telling people the secret of life, telling people what a good and virtuous, a good and beautiful life would be like. I would wager they probably got less spam emails and pop-up ads offering them the way to do it, but they had lots of options and they conflicted with one another. And it was in the middle of that kind of context that Jesus said, what well, we heard today. Let me remind you what Jesus said. This is Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. If you are tired of hearing all this crazy advice, come to me, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. This is not what he meant. He wasn't talking about the big, yellow, shiny yoke in the middle of the egg, right? (laughs) Jesus was talking about a different kind of yoke. A yoke is a thing that you put on a horse or an ox, and you kind of harness it up, and it harnesses the energy with which that animal is pulling and tries to make it productive. And in Jesus' day, especially among other Jewish teachers or rabbis, the word yoke was a common symbol, a metaphor for their teaching, take my yoke, like, pull in this direction, harness your energy in this productive way. Jesus says take my yoke upon you, receive my teaching, this will make your life better. You, you will find rest for your souls, you, restoration for your souls. Why should you believe that? Right, well, what makes Jesus' teaching different? If what I just was saying is there's a 1,000 voices offering you 2,000 different solutions, Why in the midst of all that noise is Jesus' yoke really any different? What differentiates it? Well, there probably are a couple ways to think about the answer to that question. One of them that I'm actually not going to say a lot about this morning is the content of Jesus' teaching is different. Jesus introduced to the world some pretty radical ideas that many of us now take for granted. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Can you imagine if we did that? (laughs) imagine if the world around the globe embrace that, how different the world would be. The content of Jesus' teaching is important and different. Jesus taught people a really different picture of God. He came and embodied for people and taught them that God is relentlessly interested, relentlessly committed to pursuing and receiving and restoring sinful people. To meet broken, hurting people wherever they're lost, wherever we've wandered, he comes to find us and welcomes us home with open arms. That's not what everybody thinks about God. The content of Jesus' teaching differentiates it. But there's something else I want to talk to you about today. We're actually going to get to the content stuff in the coming weeks, but before we get to learning about God and the way of Jesus, we have one more piece of foundation to lay, and and that's today. Jesus' teaching comes with the supernatural power to make it happen. Jesus' teaching comes with the very empowering presence of God, with the supernatural power that's required to make his teaching come true and bear fruit in our lives. Now, those of you who are in community groups, you actually saw a little foreshadowing of this last week in your study guides. You read and reflected on a couple of promises that God spoke through an Old Testament prophet whose name was Ezekiel. And God promised through Ezekiel to God's people to give them, to give us, new hearts. To give us in place of our hard hearts. It's one of the greatest diseases we struggle with. And I don't even mean like heart disease, <laughs> but spiritually, hard-heartedness toward one another, hard-heartedness toward God. Our hearts are divided. We go in lots of different directions at the same time. And God says, I'll give you a new heart. I'll make you tender-hearted toward me, toward one another. I'll give you an undivided heart. Today, what I want to focus on is a couple passages from a little bit later in the Bible that kind of explain this a little more fully, how this works, how God gives us a new heart and how it takes shape in our lives. So if you have a study guide in your worship boldness this morning, this would be a great time to take that out. You can take some notes as we go along and remember what's in these Bible passages. Both of the two passages that we are going to be reading and learning from today come from letters that were written by an early Christian who, whose name was Paul, a pretty famous early Christian leader. He was someone who was sent out to plant churches, start little Christian communities around the central, northern, eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea in that area. And then as he would start those communities, he would stay there sometimes for a couple weeks or a couple months, I think. Sometimes he stayed a really long time for like a year and a half (laughs) and then moved on. But he would send letters back and help them continue to grow as he had introduced them to the hope and salvation and restoration of the world and their lives in Jesus Christ. Then he would send some letters back and help continue to teach them. The first one of these passages we're gonna learn from is a letter that he wrote to the churches that were in the area around an ancient city called Ephesus, to the Ephesian churches. And these are people who had heard from Paul and from his colleagues the good news about God's restoration in Jesus Christ, his hope and restoration for the whole world and for their lives. But they were having to lead and they were having to leave an old way of life behind and embrace a new life, a new life in the way of Jesus. And kind of as Paul's teaching them about that in this letter, at a key passage in the letter, this is what he writes. This is Ephesians chapter 4, uh, starting with verse 22. He said, you were taught by me or others with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. I'm just just gonna pause there for a second. And I gotta tell you, when I first learned that verse years ago, that verse hit me like a ton of bricks, and I wanna share the bricks with you for a second. (laughs) Your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. So many of the temptations that we face in our lives temptations to sin, temptations to live life in ways that are outside the way of Jesus are deceitful desires. They promise us that which they cannot deliver, right? It just, the more that you have, the more that you hoard for yourself, the more that you look out for number one, the more that you get for yourself, the happier you'll be. That doesn't work, right? We know that's a lie, and yet these are the deceitful desires, the temptations that we face. We know that joy in life comes much more when we're open-handed than tight-fisted, when we share with those who are in need, with those who are in our lives, and we share with the purposes of God in our church and that God does in our lives, we find better life there. There's deceitful desires. We're so tempted to separate intimacy and sexuality from the marital context that God's provided for us, and we seek relationship and love and approval and intimacy other places, and it does not deliver what it promises. It doesn't make life better. It just makes life more complicated. But we get these deceitful, empty promises We think that when we're hurt, when we're wounded by somebody, when somebody wrongs us, we respond with anger and vengeance, and we'll show them, and we'll get even, and that'll feel good, and we'll finally win. And then we do that, and it never works. It doesn't make us feel better, not in the long run. It just poisons us. Paul was teaching the Ephesian Christians, and we're taught by this word, to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires. And then Paul goes on here, this passage. To put off the old self, verse 23, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So if you're filling in that outline of that passage, we're to put off the old self, be made new, and put on the new self. And here's what I want you to see in this passage, that right in the center of this process of restoration is the making new, that is done to us by the Holy Spirit of God. It's a work that we receive. You didn't create yourself, you are not the author of your new creation. It's the Spirit of God that makes us new. But then surrounding that is this invitation to cooperate with the work of the Spirit in our lives, to see those things that are old and corrupting and deceitful and to put them off, to say no to those things and walk away from them by the power that comes to us by the Spirit of God and to put on new things, to take on new attitudes and actions and behaviors that reflect the character of God. It says we're created to be like God. The new self is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Like God, can you imagine? But that's the foundation of our life together as a church at First Lutheran. It's always the heart of our Heavenly Father. Once we know the love of God for us, that creates the love of God in us, that we're able to show love of God to others. And I think the reason, or the the way that it works, the reason that we're invited to cooperate with the making new, with the new creation that the Spirit does in our lives, is because the Holy Spirit rarely or ever forces himself on people, right? God doesn't force you to change. I don't think I've ever met somebody that I walked away from going, man, that was such a gracious person, so full of love and patience and joy, but they didn't want that, but they refused that. They're like, no, I'd rather not. right? We're, we're invited, the Holy Spirit of God woos us, invites us, draws us, but doesn't dominate us or force us to change. We're made new by the Holy Spirit of God and invited to put off and put on. Now let me give you one more teaching about this from Galatians chapter five. This is from another letter that Paul wrote to some other churches that were probably a couple hundred miles off to the east of those that were in the, the Ephesian churches. And Paul was teaching them about the freedom that they had in Christ. And then in this section of the letter is teaching them about how to use their freedom. And so I wanna start in Galatians chapter five, verse 16. Paul wrote to this little Christian church. He said, so I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Let me explain that before we go on. First of all, you see there's two things here, right? There's walking by the Spirit and walking by the flesh. And there's two different ways, like an old life and a new life, similar to the last passage. But one thing is a little potentially confusing in this passage, and that's the word flesh. Sometimes we read that and we get the wrong idea. It can be even a little bit misleading in many of our English translations of the Bible. Because we hear the word flesh and we think of like flesh and blood or flesh and bones, like our bodies. And many people have gotten the wrong idea that that bodies are bad things, that God is against our bodies, our bodies are low and unworthy and dirty or something like that. That is totally not biblical teaching. Jesus came to us in a body, He was raised from the dead in a body. God made us in this world and said it was good many of the things that Jesus teaches us to do, to love one another, to bear with one another, these things happen in our embodied lives. That's not what this is saying. Flesh is a translation of a word that Paul uses to describe that dimension of life or that direction or dynamic of life that's opposed to God, that's in rebellion against God. You can think of the spirit as what God wants to do in our lives and flesh as kind of a code word for what's anti-God, anti-God directions in our lives. And Paul says don't walk by the spirit then you won't gratify these things. You won't give in to, the, to ungodly desires in your life. And then the next couple of verses after this, he kind of gives a list of the things that are the acts of the flesh. And he says that they're obvious. It's discord and dissension and hatred and envy and anger and jealousy and all that kind of stuff, stuff that none of us really want to see growing in our lives. But then after that list, Paul gives another list. And this is sort of the climax of the passage. And I want to read it to you in uh, Galatians 5, verse 22. Not the actions of the flesh, but rather the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Man, I want that life. right? I think all of us would like that to be the characteristic of the life that we live. And God goes so far as to say, if you look at that list and you don't think that's the life that I want, there are probably people in your life who want that life for you. Right? This is the kind of community you want to live in. And I often will use this list in my mind as kind of a a shorthand, imperfect, oversimplified, sure, but kind of a little shorthand for the character of Christ. As we are disciples of Jesus, as we are apprenticed in the way of life in Jesus and knowing God in the Jesus way, that these will be the characteristics, that the Spirit of God grows in our lives. And notice carefully, please, what this says that they are they are the fruit of the Spirit. Right? These are the things that grow in our lives by the power of God's spirit. When your life is watered by the spirit of Jesus, this is what grows in your life. When your life is planted in the spirit, this is what grows in your life. Jesus said, remain in me, abide in me, take deep roots in me and grow fruit on the branches of your life. When your life is nourished by the spirit of God, this is what grows in your life. This is what the spirit grows. Not the, perfectly all the time, but this is the, this is the fruit of the spirit. It's not the fruit of your hard work. It's not the fruit of your effort. It's not the fruit of you being more talented than anybody else. It's not the fruit of you being more awesome than the person sitting next to you. It's fruit of the Spirit. It's what the Holy Spirit grows in our lives together. And then, the kind of last verse of this section, a couple of verses after that, Paul writes in Galatians 5.25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us march to the Spirit. Let's march to the rhythm of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, do you see how this passage is so much like the one before? In your outline, by the way, you probably already filled this in, but there it is, walk by the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. And when you see the outline there, you'll see that it's really the same dynamic as the passage in Ephesians 4. They're both about the restoration of our lives, about learning to live and receive by the yoke of Jesus, learning to take his yoke on us and find rest for our souls and be restored. The center of both of those passages is the restoring, healing, new creating work of God's own spirit in our lives. And before it and after it, we're invited to cooperate with the work of the spirit. In Ephesians 4, it was put off and put on. Here it's walk by the spirit and keep in step with the spirit. You're invited to receive this restored life and to cooperate with the work of God in your life. Now, let me finish this little section by sharing with you the image that I also gave you last week, but I know some of you may have been out of town or you were sick, it's cold and flu season, so let me review this with you. All right, the central agent of restoration in our lives is the Holy Spirit of God, right? This is the supernatural power that Jesus' teaching comes with that restores our lives. And all throughout this series, this restored journey together, we're gonna be directing our attention to three different ways that the Spirit works in our life. The first one is the teaching of Jesus. We're going to be learning from the scriptures, because sometimes along the way in our lives, in fact, all the time, we pick up these kind of messed up ideas about God, about life, about relationships, and these things sort of seep into our understanding. And what we need to do is have our minds, our ideas, our thought life restored by the Holy Spirit. And so when we gather together for worship on Sundays, in our community groups, in your own individual lives, we're going to be learning from the Bible, and learning from the teaching of Jesus, what God is like, and... What the shape of life is meant to be like, and how we live together in community and relationships with others, which is the second corner on this triangle, the second way that we're focusing on that God's Spirit restores our lives, and that is through Christian community, through friends, maybe family members, people that you know here in your church family, people in your community group. God works through other people to restore and shape and help us grow. I know a lot of you are in community groups. This is your experience. I've Actually, this week it was really encouraging. I heard from a lot of you how great your first week of restored groups were. So thanks for that encouragement. I'm glad to hear that was happening for you. I know some people signed up for community groups last week. Many of you may want to do that today. Maybe this is a challenge for you today to go out to that table in our church lobby out there and maybe go along with a couple friends and say, hey, we're going to start a group. Can you help us? They would love to help you out there, our staff and other leaders in that ministry. If you're already in some Christian relationships, then maybe this is an opportunity for you just to take a next step in those friendships and those groups and enter with a spirit of authenticity and honesty and openness and allow God to work through others in your life. And don't forget that God's working in you, through you, in their lives. Right? The Holy Spirit uses Christian community. And finally, soul training exercises. This is something that you're gonna see on the front of the study guide that you're holding from the front page every week throughout this whole months-long journey. And the idea of these soul training exercises is just to help us practice tuning in to the frequency of the Holy Spirit. To open up our ears in the midst of all the noise that's surrounding us and learn to, w- learn to listen to the whispers of God in our life. Because that's the kind of life that we want where we're taking direction from God's Spirit, where we're walking in rhythm, we're keeping in step with the Spirit of God day in and day out. And so on there are exercises, just little moments of quiet in your life that you can do for five or 10 or 15 or however many minutes each day you have, this is an opportunity to pray and be quiet and listen and develop the habit of listening to God all throughout your life. This diagram comes from a book that we've been talking about, you saw it in the announcements today, called The Good and Beautiful God, and we're gonna be using that book and even some others as we go through. That's a book that will enrich our series, our teaching series on Sunday mornings and community groups, and if you wanna use that or pick up a copy, there are some outside at our desk. In this journey, we're going to spend the next part of our journey learning about God, the character of God in Jesus. We're going to do that until Easter. And then from Easter until the summer, we're going to learn about the good and beautiful life, about how Jesus reforms the attitudes and actions of our lives, and then the good and beautiful community, how it is that we share life together with one another. I want to finish today by sharing with you a brief story. I finished last week by telling you a story about a guy named Craig. And Craig's story actually comes from the introduction to that book, The Good and Beautiful God. Today, I want to share with you a story of someone that I've known for several years. I knew until we celebrated her funeral about a week and a half ago. Her name is Lorraine Bergside. Lorraine was a member of First Lutheran Church since the early 50s. So she'd been here for 65 years, which is longer than most of us, right? She and her late husband, Ken, joined this church in the early 1950s. And they were regular church-going people for a number of years. And then in the service that we celebrated for her, as we remembered her life and celebrated the hope of resurrection unto eternal life, I had the opportunity in her funeral to do something that I I don't usually get to do. She had written down and and shared with her kids her own faith story, her own life story and a testimony to her faith in Jesus. And they shared that with me in the time leading up to the service. And I was able to share a little bit of her story in her own words with those who had gathered to mourn her loss and, and celebrate the hope of resurrection. And in Lorraine's view in her life, she and her husband Ken and their children were growing up here in this church decades and decades ago. And as they grew, they were here, but they knew that something was missing in their lives. And then in the mid-1970s, around the year 1975, I know that some of you were not even born yet in 1975. That actually is the year I was born. (laughs) She and her husband joined a ministry here at First Lutheran that at that time was called growth groups. It's a lot like what we call community groups right now. These were groups where people gathered together on a regular basis intentionally. They learned from the Bible together. They learned the teaching of Jesus. Just tell me if you've heard this before. They shared their lives with one another. They prayed together. They practiced Christian community. And there was a pattern of reading the Bible together and praying on their own, too, in these soul training exercises. And Lorraine told the story kind of from beyond the grave and shared her words with us about the impact that that made on her life. For one thing, she said it strengthened her for some really difficult times that they as a family had to face through three, three consecutive struggles with cancer, with a cancer diagnosis in her daughter, always very, very difficult for a parent, for a battle with cancer that she herself had to deal with, and then also with a battle with cancer that her husband faced and that eventually took his life in the 1980s. And she testified to the strength that she received to the peace, <laughs> to the wholeness of the restoration that was in her soul in the midst of those hard times. And as we sat down to talk Ahead of her service, I talked with her daughter, Cheryl, and her son, Sherwood, ahead of the service, and to share some stories. And Her daughter, Cheryl, said it really well. She told me about her mom's life, and she said, you know, I think I just, probably the best thing I can say about her is that she was a Christian. And she wasn't a Sunday Christian, she said to me. She was a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday Christian. And I'm sitting here in my office listening to this thinking, man, I want my kids to say this about me someday. And she said she wasn't a Christian when people were looking, She was a Christian when nobody was watching. And then Cheryl got up actually in the service. Not every child is in the emotional place to do that at their own parents' funeral, but Cheryl was able to share some stories in our service. And she finished by saying, you know, my mom wasn't a hero. She didn't change the world. She lived a life of quiet faithfulness to Jesus. I don't want to disagree with Cheryl's words there, but but I will tell you that while she may not seem like our typical definition of hero or world changer, I know that God changed her and that changed her world, that changed her family life, changed the lives of her children, changed the lives of her extended family, changed the lives of a lot of us actually who are here at First Lutheran. Some of you may know Lorraine and maybe were touched by her life in the last 10 years or more. That's the journey that we're invited to, the journey of restoration that Lorraine was on. Maybe the restoration that God does in your life is not something that people will say is heroic, Maybe it's not something that will wind up on television or will ever go viral anywhere or will ever write one of those little physical books people used to read about you. But God will change you and that will change your life and it will change the lives of us together. And point by point, thread by thread, God will reweave the fabric of community that we share together, making an impact in our lives, in our small networks, in our church family, And God make it so in the witness that we share together as a witness to the light and hope and restoring power of God to the world that does not yet know him. And I'll just close today by praying for that and inviting you to cooperate with the work of the Spirit in your life, to take the next step in learning Jesus' teaching and practicing community and in soul training that God prompts your heart to, to grow and be restored to all that God wants for our lives together. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are grateful. I am grateful that you come and meet us where we are, that in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our pain, our mess, our running away from you, that you come and find us and that you restore us. And I thank you for the teaching of Jesus who comes and says, take my yoke on you. I'll give you rest. I'll restore you. I'll give you peace for your souls. God, we want that. And so we pray, would you send your Holy Spirit into our lives? We invite your work in our hearts in the practices of our lives, in our relationships, and our attitudes and beliefs and emotions. Holy Spirit, please come to us and change us from the inside out. And we pray that you would strengthen us. We wanna cooperate with your work in our lives. We wanna put off the old, deceitful things that corrupt us and steal life from us and put on the things that are life-giving, that are truth. God, we wanna walk by your spirit, keep in step with the rhythm of what you're doing with our lives. We pray that you would restore us. And God, we pray if you will, that you would give us the privilege of sharing in what you do, that your healing and your restoring in our lives would be a testimony to your hope and that would shine a light of hope to those who do not know you yet to know what life can be now and forever. Not that they would see us, but that they would see you and your healing power. We pray, Holy Spirit, come into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.